You know why? Because bad things happen in Philadelphia. Bad things. Before, uh, before we kind of get started, started, I'm going to mention that whole full press thing. I'll introduce Dan and then we'll kick off, boys. Hang on, let me just make sure I have uh, – I don't fumble under pressure here and get the name of this thing right. Just make sure you do it in that same shitty southern accent. You just <laughs> welcome to another episode of High and Wide, everybody. I don't, know, I don't know where that comes from. He, he just, <laughs> he just does it out of nowhere. He hits us with it. Uh, shit! Now I have to make sure I don't do that. Yep. <laughs> He's What's going up. on? <laughs> What's going on, you beauties? Welcome to another episode of High and Wide Radio. We have a very topic-filled episode. Ahead of us, we have a very special guest that will join us in just a second. But before we start, I just want to add, we've teamed up with FullPressCoverage.com. Make sure you guys go download the Full Press Coverage app. You can find us in podcasts. Go to Hockey Podcasts, and you'll find High and Wide Radio, along with other great hockey pods. Make sure you check out some of their hockey content. Uh, they also do other sports like football, baseball, soccer and uh, i think i saw wrestling on there fantasy sports if you're in the fantasy so we're very excited to team up with ian glendon and full press coverage sports now let me introduce our guest mr dan silver from the omb podcast what's up dan what's going on boys it's always fun to join you lunatics (laughs) (laughs) i hope that's the reputation we have absolutely (laughs) i wouldn't want it any other way damn right Yep, so as always, Jack and Kyle are here with us, and we have some hot topics to get to, some interesting topics. Uh, first, I would like to talk about, though, Dan, you were at, you joined the season ticket holder virtual meeting. Can you kind of take us through some of the topics discussed during that meeting tonight? Yeah, so, you know, they normally do, like, the flyer season ticket holder uh, town hall. Towards the end of the season, they've got it live and in person which is ironic because I can never go because I live down in D.C. But so this year they did it like virtually after the season. They had Steve Coates basically asking Chuck Fletcher 30 minutes worth of questions. And they then they basically had a recorded segment with Mike Shane, who's the Flyers chief business officer. So Steve Coates and Chuck Fletcher, they basically went through the draft, talked about it. Nothing crazy there, I would say. What What's really stood out for me about Chuck Fletcher's availability is that when he was asked about the center position, he talked about how much carousel they had this past season at, at 3C, and he sounded genuinely excited when he talked about Nolan Patrick. He said that he's healthy, he believes he'll be able to play, he feels great, and it just seemed like Fletcher was being very enthusiastic about it. Now, if he was just doing that because instead of being with reporters, it was like just a forum for season ticket holders, then, you know, I guess um, there's that possibility. But all I can report is what he said and what he looked like. And and Fletcher seemed very excited when he talked about Nolan Patrick. So that was kind of good to see. You know, he mentioned that he thought that the salary cap was going to stay flat for at least the next few years. Maybe that wasn't news, but all I'd heard was maybe one year. So Fletcher seemed to make it sound like it would be multiple years he said he thinks the flyers are well positioned for that because of how many young players they have on entry-level contracts um and you know from fletcher that was 
he talked a little bit about, I kind of joked on Twitter, he talked about Gustafsson and Braun and about how Braun brings the defensive capabilities that Niskanen had and Gustafsson brings some of the offensive capabilities that he had. So I was joking that maybe they could make like a, like, a genetic constructed, uh, you know, Justin Gustafson and combine those two guys. But clearly you could tell that he didn't think that they were going to be able to replace Niskanen with, with what they had, at least with one player. So he talked about that a little bit. And then Mike Shane talked about, you know, what the coming season is going to look like in terms of fans in the seats. And, you know, they're still not confident that they're going to have fans in the seats at, at any games. They don't know when they're going to come back, but he, he, They'll have game plans in place and, you know, not, nothing new there. But it sounds like, you know, they've always treated the season ticket holders very well, I must say. And they continue to do that. They, they find ways of keeping fans engaged despite all of the uh, pandemic-related issues that are being faced. So, you know, it was an hour conference with those two guys. And, you know, it, it, it was fine. The, my main takeaway was just how he was talking about Patrick. So now how much of that, and just from your gut feeling, um, is team speak for the season ticket holders and how much of his actual enthusiasm, just just from body language and having been to these things before? You know, I I thought he seemed a little optimistic about Patrick last season, and clearly that was not justified. I think – Here's my opinion on Nolan Patrick and where we stand. I think that right now Nolan Patrick is healthy, and I think he's ready to start ramping up activity. I also think, and this is based on some things that I've heard from people around the team, I think that the team and the organization are not very happy with him because, first of all, these scrimmages he's playing in, I don't think he's doing that in common. He's really consulted with them on that. Second of all, I'd heard that they were a little annoyed about how much golf he was playing at the same time that like Sam Moran was like staying around the Philly area to rehab. I think this is when the bubble was going on. Patrick went back home. He was golfing, you know, Moran stays home. He's rehabbing. I heard that there was a little bit of angst from the team about the way that Nolan Patrick is kind of handling everything. So my opinion is this, I think he's probably healthy. I think that he is planning to come to camp and play. I think the team is maybe not happy with the way that he's handled the situation. And I also believe that when he comes back and he gets rattled up high and he maybe takes some high hits, I question what his motivation level is going to be to come back from his next concussion. So those are all my thoughts on Nolan Patrick. I think we all, mainly me, have questioned a little bit of Nolan Patrick's um, motivation. And I wanted to ask you, is that something you feel new about or have you always kind of had that? Because we were given such little information, kind of blindsided us at the beginning of last year with everything. Um, is this seem to be like a theme now or just, you know, because he's been out for so long and he's just a kind of lackadaisical kind of guy? You know, I, the problem is I've never met the I've never met the kid. I, it's hard. You know, I'm just going to say what my opinions are and they might be wrong. I remember watching the draft and seeing an interview with his dad and saying to myself, this dude is one of the weirdest human beings I've ever seen interviewed. Like his dad was just a total space cadet, totally out there. And, you know, you make some 
you see that and you say, hey, I wonder if Nolan Patrick is kind of like that. And then you see the interviews with him with the media and you're thinking to yourself, okay, either he's the shyest human being on the planet or he thinks all these media members are idiots and they're asking stupid questions and he doesn't think he should like justify their questions with answers. And so I, I've always gotten like a weird vibe from Nolan Patrick that I don't know what it is, just kind of like a weird vibe that he maybe thinks he's better than a lot of other people and players. And he's just rubbed me the wrong way. And maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm right. But none of the vibes that I get with Nolan Patrick are, are good. And but just when it comes down to the health standpoint, I just I, I don't feel great about him being a consistent contributor for the team. But I, I think that he'll be back in camp and going at it. But you guys. No, it's just interesting. Go ahead. So I already said this once, uh, and Nolan Patrick's going to be in opening night lineup. I think he's going to play the entire season with the exception of maybe a maintenance game here or there. And he's going to put up over 40 points. Can I book that part about him playing the whole season? Are you offering me odds on that <laughs> happening? I already tried. Like I said, here and there, maintenance game. But he's going to play the whole season, and he's going to put up over 40 points. I hope you're right, because that kid has so much potential. He really is extremely talented. I can't help but agree with you, Dan, in the sense that I've gotten that same vibe, that same I'm too good for this vibe. And almost when he stepped up and got rattled and it wasn't as easy for him as it was in juniors, it's like his mentality began to change. And I don't remember hearing anything about concussions. or I know he took a head hit against the glass, but you know that was like in November. And he was in and out. The last thing I remember hearing about him from the last season he played was like the ham sandwich uh, interview where he said he had two ham sandwiches or something, you know, and it was like we were looking like, okay, we might have something here. We'll see. We hit free agent or we hit the offseason and around what late August, September, all of a sudden he's out indefinitely with these these headaches. Like, where did that come from? I'm not saying he's lying, but at the same time. You hear things, and it's just kind of like, what's true, what's not? I, I heard he was medically cleared back last October, and they couldn't figure it out. And then you hear, I heard something about he'd be rather be golfing than doing this. And then and you, what you said about him not being around the team and not golfing kind of jogged that memory. And yeah, if it, it stems from the, you know, his family, if his dad's weird, maybe he's got this weird mentality with things, and maybe he's a little entitled. And I, it just, it's. Certain things are adding up. He Could he be just flat out hurt and trying to return? Sure. But when you put all these other pieces together, something's not there. Something's not right. It's just – it's very odd, and I've never felt good about it since the announcement really. So, I mean, do I have confidence that he'll come back and play this year? No, <laughs> not really. Uh, I think if there's 82 games and he plays, at the most he plays 30 of them. You know, so, I mean, there's a lot of back-to-backs this year as well, which also doesn't help his cause. But it just I, – Kyle, I like I like the uh, enthusiasm because he does have all the potential in the world. But I would be blown away if he, if he came anywhere close to that. So, so let me just real quick. I want to talk about – because this is also what I've heard about the whole situation um, is that if you remember the summer before um, – the summer before all the stuff went down with him, with about a week to go in the season, he got hit with a puck up high. And I think it was in the face. He got hit with a puck and he sat out the rest of the season. Like he might've played another game and then he missed like the last three games of the season with an upper body injury. 
from what I understand, that upper body injury at the end of that season was concussion symptoms from getting hit in the head with the puck. And going into the summer, the team knew that he was dealing with concussion issues, which was why they ran out and immediately traded for the rights to Kevin Hayes and made it a priority to sign him. So as I understand it, he's been dealing with it going back to that. And that's kind of the history there. So that even at the end of that season, the team kind of knew what was going on. And then they, the headaches weren't going away at the beginning of the summer. And even last year, Chuck Fletcher didn't rule out that the migraine symptoms, the migraine syndrome was related to post-concussion effects. Because you remember like when they announced the migraines and people started saying, oh, it could be related to concussions. And on Twitter, everyone's like yelling at them, like, you're not a medical expert. You don't know what you're talking about. Migraine symptoms are different than concussions. Well, here we had our GM this season saying it might be related. So I, I think you can connect the dots. And, and, and I think that it all goes back to concussions for him. Well, <clears throat> that act, that does make a lot of sense. It's um now wasn't there a talk that he had this is history either with him or his family or something like that and this uh before even before he was drafted. I don't remember hearing anything but at the draft or anything like that, but once it came out, it was like oh, he dealt with something like this before or ran in his family or something of that nature. Yeah, I think I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think that there was some family history of migraines going okay. back. It's just there is so much information and misinformation with with Nolan Patrick. It is like the biggest mystery anomaly. Like, I, I hate that we're in the middle of it, but at the same time, I don't want to pull a, a gym and just cut bait because <laughs> he was the second <laughs> overall pick. They you like have, that, Kyle? They have value he just he's got value and ultimately i like to see him play take over as the number two and just you know grow up and get over it and figure it out and obviously not have these headaches you know really bother him because keith primo was on i want to say crossing broad and he's like if it's it's or uh snow the goalie and if he said like if it's one thing like if it's this bad like he needs to retire and figure out for his life <laughs> you know like it's that important or if they you know or he's getting better and it's just like I feel like we're like it's neither or and we're just riding this, you know, the line until and we're never going to know. And I'm glad that we've heard what we that Fletcher is actually excited. And that's why I was very curious to see, is that team speak? Is that because nobody's going to games and they want to get these season tickets and sell their Santa sacks and what have you? Because no, their revenues are low right now. You know, it's I think he I think he honestly feels very healthy right now is my okay. guess about Nolan Patrick. I, I'll take that all day. That's that's good because we need to see something from him. That'll I mean we couldn't do much this offseason, so having Limblom and Patrick come back would, would be great. Absolutely it'd be great. So let me get, let me ask you guys this. If Patrick does return and plays most of the season, what would be an acceptable point total for Nolan Patrick coming off of everything that he's been through in the last year? That would make you guys want to hold on to him even longer. I mean, personally, if he just played those games, I would be okay. I would hold on to him. Like I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't offer him eight million dollars or anything. But you know, he's still a restricted free agent at that point. But I, uh, I don't really. I'm not looking at point totals. I'm looking at longevity and being able to stay on the ice. 
I don't want him to get hit a pie, but God forbid he does get rattled a little bit. I'm looking for him to bounce back and not have to go straight to the, the dark room and miss the next three games. You know, I, I just want him to just, just be able to stand up in an NHL season. That would be fine with me because that's a huge stepping stone, and we can worry about how he fits into the team and point totals later. I'm confident enough. I completely agree. I'm confident enough in his ability that if he's healthy, if he's healthy, he's going to be a fantastic NHL third line center. That's all there is to it. Like, so that's the big question mark with him. I, it's not even about point totals for me. Like, cause if he's on a third line with whoever, like Joel Farabee and you know, whoever's playing the other wing, like they're going to put up points. Um, he just needs to stay healthy. So that would be, that'd be thrilling. If he stays healthy all next season, you definitely sign him to a, you know, contract. I have some questions. I mean, I just have questions still. So, Let's say he is healthy. Like, Jack, you made this argument during the season, former number two overall pick. You know you're healthy. You know that you're going to play. Why play for the minimum? Why not play for a million? Why not play for 1.5? Does the team have that much leverage? Or is it like, eh, if I play, I play. So I'll sign. You know, like that's not a little bit fishy to anybody, right? I mean, I just he, he, that I, <laughs> the being the number two overall pick has some leverage, but to miss an entire season, I don't think he had any leverage. I, I mean, he he's just, not playing for free, but former number two overall pick making eight hundred thousand well, dollars. The other thing is when he was here, he looked good in in stretches, but he it wasn't like he took over or anything like that for an extended period of time. If he did that, that would be a different story. He just had a couple of stretches where he looked really good. Uh, he also battled some injuries and odd things like the boil on his face like earlier in the season, too. So he's been in and out of the lineup most of his career, really. And this on top of that, I don't think he had any leverage. Now, if he comes back and plays a full season and say he only has 20 points, uh, suddenly it's – I'm not even worried about points. I just – him on the ice right now, you'll see it. I don't think he'll – his point total is something to look into. Um for this season, for this contract, I can't having had any leverage at all because you can't just say I'm the number two overall pick because how many picks that high have turned into nothing? You know, like that happens. Like Yakupov, for God's sake, he never missed a game. And he didn't, you know, like there's things happen. And uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say mm-hmm. that to, to me, he had literally zero leverage, right? Like he didn't play last season. And he's not arbitration eligible. So he basically, if they offer him the league minimum, he pretty much had to accept it or hold out, which I don't think he wants to do. However, I will say this. If it was Oscar Lindblom with his personality and the way that he's you know, recovered from this, or even like a Sam Moran, the way that he's rehabbed, and they were in the same exact position as Patrick, I'm not convinced that they would have offered him the minimum. I think the fact that the team may not be completely happy with what Nolan Patrick's been doing on his own is reflected in the fact that they only offered him that minimum contract. Now, that's a good point. And that makes me worry a little bit about the future. How much do we worry about Nolan Patrick going forward? Even if he does manage to become healthy and get over this, like, is he going to be like some kind of prima donna, you think? Like, is that like, does that the early signs of that? Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> so fa- this factors in a little bit. So 
Nolan Patrick's dad was a 20th overall pick in the – give me a second here – in the 1980 NHL draft. Okay, wasn't in the league for very long. Played with the Sabres, the Rangers, and, you know, coincidentally enough, with his last team was the Quebec Nordiques. He played for 27 games. Played a total of 250 games. So his dad has NHL experience. Uh, maybe that's where some of the entitledness comes from. Uh, his uncle, James Patrick, was also an NHLer, had a much longer career. Uh, apparently his uncle's a pretty big uh, influencer in his life. Uh I think if you grow up around two guys who played in the NHL, you're going to feel a little bit privileged. Maybe like you've seen all this kind of stuff before. Maybe that's where the snarky uh, interview answers come from. If you ask me, you got a 20-year-old giving these kind of answers to, you know, reporters and people trying to do their jobs and whatnot. Dude, I know you were the second overall pick, but you're nobody in this locker room. You're nobody in this league, right? You have you kind of have to earn the right to be a dick. You know what I mean? Like you can't just come in and be an asshole, you know? So I have an issue with that. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's how today's athletes are. I don't know if that's considered old school or not anymore, but if I'm an older guy in that locker room, I'm going to him and I'm saying, Hey dude, you're not on that level yet. You have to earn the right to to talk like that. You know what I mean? So we can call it immaturity. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it privileged, you know, to be, to think you're able to talk to these people like that. And, You've only been in the league a year or two, you know. Um, apparently, the teammates love him. I'm not sure. Sh- I, I mean, I imagine that they really do like the guy. Um, yeah, I don't know. To me, it seems like there's a lot of for show. We were strung along for an entire season saying Nolan Patrick's skating. He's skating, which doesn't really mean shit, to be honest with you, anymore. So when I hear a guy skating, I'm like, oh, whoop de doo you know, like I kind of desensitized to that a little bit because it doesn't mean he's coming back, apparently. It just means that he's skating. It literally means he's just skating. So I, I think Chuck Fletcher's done an outstanding job as Flyers GM to this point. Um, I also think he's pretty good at telling people what they might want to hear, you know, to kind of fan, uh, to kind of calm the flames of a potential fire. Um, you know... I- Everybody knows how I feel about Nolan Patrick at this point. I, I would love for him to play. Former number uh, two overall pick. He's got some. He's got talent. You know, uh, he's flashed it a little bit. Hey, if he if he's able to play in 60 games this year, awesome. You know, I, but I at the same time I think if somebody wants to deal for this kid, I think you make the move. You know? Oh, shit. yeah. <laughs> I didn't think we were going to transition there. He caught me by surprise. Nah, because everything I just mentioned, it's ingrained in this in this kid to just be a jerk. And, you know, nobody has any loyalties to him here. Dan already mentioned that they're not exactly thrilled with him, you know. I think you have the opportunity to move him. You do it. You know, there's been a lot of rumors <laughs> that his, his family wants him closer to home. They want to keep an eye on him. Maybe it's for health reasons. It's my opinion that so uh, recently I kind of changed my perspective. You know, there was a, I think I mentioned that documentary that came out a couple weeks ago. I can't, I think it was called the pain in our game, something like that. It made me wonder if they're afraid of Nolan Patrick playing for the flyers, you know, with, with all the BS that happened with the medical staff back in the day. I mean, Lindros comes to mind. It, it just, there's some interesting points there and I'm not sure. I still don't see a, future here for nolan patrick i just don't so i think 
for me, the end result would be to find him another place to play. You're, you're, no pun intended, you're moving a headache off your hands. Dan, why don't you go ahead before I... No, I mean, look, I'm the one who caused all the drama on Twitter by suggesting that we should trade Konechny, Patrick, those two buddies, you know, we'll package them together along with Ghost and uh, first-round pick for um, for Lining. I mean, you know, I look, if, if we could trade Patrick, I, I think that would be fine. The, see, I guess my thing is that, you know, everyone says, well, you can't play, trade a player when his value is this low. My concern, again, is that his value is going to be literally nothing after next year because he's going to get injured and decide to retire or something like that. Like, that's my concern with him. And when you've got a team like Winnipeg, who that's his hometown, and they might have interest in him, like if we could package him for a guy like Lining, I'd be all for it. I still think there's a small chance that he comes back. And, you know, as Kyle said, he's like healthy and, and, you know, really flourishes. And so I think there is that possibility. I just think it's much more likely that it takes a more negative direction, which is why if we could extract value out of him by trading into a team like Winnipeg, who might think that they can, you know, get a long-term second line center out of him, then, you know, that's, that's what I would look at. I wouldn't trade him for nothing. I wouldn't trade him for peanuts. But if there's a value add to get a guy like Line A, I would do it. Yeah, that, that okay. So the proposed trade, I'm, I'm all about that for Line A. Like I would, do, I would definitely do that. But like I'm definitely not moving him for just for the sake of moving him. Uh, I, I would rather try to get him back on the team. I'm not taking a six round pick just to get him out of here. But yeah, that's that's why it was so interesting with Winnipeg, him being from there, us being connected to Line A. That's definitely doable. But as Jim, you you kind of alluded to him, like, you know, kind of being a jerk. I don't think he's like T.O. or anything like that. Like, he's not that bad. <laughs> like, you know, he's just kind of like standoffish. Like, he's, you know, he, he's got like mental issues. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's still too early to go that far. Um, and you know how I am about value. Let's not get into ghost again. Like we, we're going to get I like to get value, at least try. And certain trades you I can think extract. That's why he hasn't been moved. Exactly, and, and and certain trades extract better value. Going for picks, you're going to get bone. But like line A, okay, you, you got me there. I'll do that all day. Um, and I get where you're coming from, and I get that mentality. But you know, I'm not going to kill him yet. He hasn't been like open like Tom Barrasso was back in the day and as abrasive with reporters, you know, I, and, and he really, you're right. He can't be, but I also don't think he's trying to be. And the locker room's telling him no, because you said, it seems like these guys kind of like the kid. So I'm going to wait. If that line, a deals proposed to me, I'll all day, I'll do that. But at the same time, I'm not ready to cut bait. There's gotta be some kind of value. And I think unless we're getting that landmark deal, I think we should wait and see. And like you guys said, if he's feeling healthy, well, let's get him out there and then go see what see what options come from that. I understand 100% what Dan said regarding his value. I mean, we've seen it with Ghost. I think last year, if Ghost even put up 20 points, he would have been moved by now because there, there would have been more value or like an opportunity for other teams to see like, you know, we can maybe get another 60-point season out of the guy, maybe one or two. But with Patrick right now, there's there's none, which is part of the reason why he's only 875K. 
So I think the only way you can really move them, and I think everybody already knows this, is if you add them in a deal. Um, same way for Ghost, maybe. You know, I think what hurts Ghost is the flat cap, especially if he if he didn't have value before, the the flat cap almost gives him negative value, especially with that three year contract. You know, because at least on the angry and negative show with Dan, they want to bring up how guys like Mark Stahl are get, is getting moved. And I think Bronson was got moved. Those guys have one year deals. If somebody trades for Shane Gossespierre, they're trading for a guy they hope that can find his game. But they're trading for three more years at four point five as well. You know, so it's almost like, well, you're taking a real risk there because if he if he doesn't come back, then you're screwed out of four point five million for for the next couple of years. You know what I mean? Whereas if it was a one year deal, I don't know, maybe you take that shot. Maybe you take the chance. So that's why I think if Patrick shows anything next year, maybe you move on because uh, I don't know if his Sure, his value could be a lot better, but I don't know if it gets any lower, he's going to be out of the league. You know. Well, <laughs> if he shows anything, a lot of people's mentality on him is going to change. It's it's just natural. Like in our heads before the season, we like let's get him out there. He'll show some, um, you know, some value. He'll do some good things, and then we'll just ship him off. But in reality, when we see that, we go, "Ooh, we might have something here." It's just, it's just how things work out. I, I, we've done it before with with in all sports with players, and I if he does show anything, I guarantee you nobody's going to be calling for him to be traded. The, one of the first playoff games against Montreal, I, what one of the games, you know, we came back and they said he was healthy because he had had that knee injury that hampered him all season. He looked really good. Like I remember a couple times he took the puck out from behind the net, exploded through the defensive zone, moved it up. I remember some good lateral movement from him. Like, I feel like if teams were really paying close attention to how Shane Gossespierre looked in the playoffs, maybe not so much when he was paired with Braun, but like other times in the playoffs, I think they would say, hey, this this guy could be a really good get. I think the problem is, is that the Flyers, not the problem, but I think that the Flyers also recognize that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they know that here's a player who still could be a decent NHLer, and they don't want to give him away for nothing. Like that's, you know, I think they could, I think if they really wanted to trade him away for like a fifth round pick, I think they probably could have done it to someone. Um, but I think they want to try and get some value for him if they're going to trade him. I could be it, wrong. I mean, I'm on the same train. I think it would have been done by now if they, you know, disagreed with that opinion. And most of it is because we've seen guys go other other places and get just a fresh start and just, you know, take over. And he's shown so much. He's got the ability. He looked good at the end of last season before the stoppage. I think it was only one game, but it was something, you know. And then in early Montreal, some of the early first period of, like, his only game he played with the Islanders, I think that was more of a coach's decision. Like, the way that the Islanders play, it's probably not a good idea to have a ghost out there. Um, as, as much as they needed to generate offense – they needed to be a little bit more concerned with the defense. Um, there, there's something though. And if they're smart about it and they can pair him up with the right guy, I, the 65 point season, I don't see that ever happening again, but I think you can get something. And if, and what kills me is if it wasn't for the flat cap, the, the contract isn't horrible. It looks pretty bad, but it's not horrible. 
And I'm kind of like, I, I just cannot let this guy go for a fifth round pick. And if they did and they freed up that money, well, what are they using it on? And I, I just, that's where the disconnect is for me right now. I got if he scores 65 points somewhere, um, Jim's going to have to buy me a jersey. Uh, yeah. He's going to have to I'll, buy me a house. I'll buy, yeah, I'll buy you a house <laughs> and a jersey. Yeah. Um, here's a question for you guys. And I'm not saying anybody on this show is is doing this kind of stuff, but, you know, there's people on Twitter, you know. We, we don't want to say that we should talk about Travis connecting in a negative way because 22, 22 playoff games is a small sample size, right? But Shane Gossespierre plays one good regular season game, and we're like, whoa, I mean, let's give him a chance here. He might be good again. And it's like, Jesus, like you can't get any smaller of a, of a sample size than one game. Like all of a sudden his career's turned around because he played, uh, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I can buy all that with Ghost. Anybody well, can how, play good for a game. How much? But he played. He's played well for years. Like it's not yeah. like he's some yeah. rookie. He's a guy that literally put up two really good NHL seasons. So we know what he can be. It's not like he's 35 years old. Like he's still. 26 27 years old like we know what he can be it's just a question of can he get back to that level jimmy what you have to ask yourself is when did the the solid play the good play stop and when did the the injury and i i put quotations up because i know you're not a full believer but like like how much of that was just bad play and how much was that injury related and because we've seen him play good so it's like, where do you draw the line on when he started playing poorly slash when did that injury come in that he's been dealing with? And listen, I get it. I get it. I know what you're going to say in the for the most part, but like, what? this is why I still think he has value <laughs> and other coaches and GMs look at him and they say, we're going to get one over on the Flyers because it, and luckily they haven't. But like, listen, he was playing good. He got injured. He's had some hiccups, no doubt we can take this guy for cheap and we can turn him into something like that. That's all I'm, that's what I'm kind of coming from at this where they can't just give the guy away. No, they can't. And you know, I think he adds more value to a trade. Like we, like we talked about with Patrick, but you know, he's not going to get the opportunity to score 60 points for the flyers again, unless he magically plays with Provorov in the top pairing and quarterbacks to power play and magically starts hitting the net again. It's just not well, going to happen. It doesn't Philly. make any more news. <laughs> this might be that season. Yeah. And um, yeah. listen, as great as Ghost has played offensively in two seasons, I don't think I can ever recall Ghost playing great defensively. And with the addition of Gustafson, where where does he fit at this point? That's my my biggest issue with not getting rid of him now in this offseason is – what the hell are we going to do with him? Is he going to sit in the goddamn press box again all year? Because you're not going to raise his value that way. The I Flyers' think- defense right now is a puzzle, is puzzle pieces that don't fit together. Like, the signing of Gustafson, like, it didn't do anything to, to figure out how this puzzle of their defense fits together. I mean, I think the best right-handed defenseman they have is clearly Phil Myers. So if you say, okay, we're going to put Myers together with Provorov – well, then what that second pairing, because you got to figure that they like Haig and Braun on the third pairing, or are they just not going to play Haig and they're going to have both Gustafson and 
ghost in the lineup. I don't know if that's going to happen. So I feel like the way it is now, they're like, all right, we can't get value for ghost. So we're going to keep him around where we think he might be like the seventh defenseman. But if he comes into camp and wows everyone, then he could be the first pairing defenseman. Like where else could you find a scenario where a guy could either be like the top pairing right handed or the top pairing defenseman, or he could be the seventh guy. It's like, there's so many different possibilities Crazy, and outcomes. Man. Cause that sounds think terrible. It sounds like a bad it, plan. You remember there was like a 10 game stretch where Provorov and ghost were literally the best defense pairing that we've seen with this team for a long time. Like they were incredible. I think it was Provorov's second season or something. I don't know, but like th- those guys have been really good together. And so I don't know. Would it totally, I know it would shock probably most of you guys if, if ghost, you know, was incredible and a good first pairing defenseman, but I I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know. At the point they're at now, like, okay, first off, this is the COVID flat cap world. So I kind of, I kind of get it. I'd rather be in the position we're in now than if we traded for Nate Schmidt and we were, you know, screwed going into Seattle expansion draft and other things, you know, financially. Um, I, I wish some kind of trade went before happened before free agency, but you know, that's that's tough in the flat cap. So I can't I can't kill Fletcher. It does feel like they just added the best available defenseman who would accept a one year deal because we're not giving out no trade clauses and rightfully so. And it definitely is not ideal. I definitely understand that. But you know what? We need Ghost to get value. We need to work with what we have. Would not, I mean, maybe not from the get go, but would not completely surprise me if he wound up there. And the other thing is, it, we're probably not going to start, season's probably not going to start January 1st, more likely January 15th. Uh, I think there's going to be a ton of back to backs. They're going to get in a huge. They're going to jam-pack 82 games or as close to it as they can into a very small time. So I think you're going to need more than a seventh defenseman. I think guys are going to sit just for a maintenance day, and guys are going to get hurt. So I think we're going to see more of Ghost, even if he is the seventh defenseman, than we think. I think he's going to spend some time with Provorov. I think they're going to try a little bit of everything. And while that's not ideal for being successful and winning the Cup, I do think it's ideal for seeing what we have in Ghost and possibly moving him. Now, I, do I, is that what I want going into the season? No, I want them to make a move and trade for line A and figure out the defense later. But, you know, that's going to be tough. So let me ask you guys a question here. When is it going to be that we're not worried who Ivan Provorov's paired up with? When's it going to be that? You know, he's the guy that deserves to be on whatever BS list the NHL wants to put out with. And you can pair anybody up with them because he's going to adjust to their style. You know, when, when's he going to be that guy? Because he's supposed to be the uh, the horse of this defense, right? Well, and he's definitely the horse. <laughs> plays all the minutes. Maybe, like he, maybe he's not the top power play guy that everyone's hoping he's going to be. You know, why can't? They throw a guy like Ghost out there, and Ivan Provorov adjusts his game to Ghost. Why does it have to be the other way around for him to succeed? Ghost turns over the puck directly at the blue line more often than not. And it doesn't matter how good you are defensively. A two-on-one or a three-on-one is still a three-on-one or a two-on-one. 
I'm not saying that Provorov can't adjust to somebody's game, but there's a certain amount of adjustment. I mean, for God's sakes, if they were to sign me tomorrow and stick me out there with Provorov, we're not going to go, Provorov, why aren't you carrying Kyle? No, I can't keep up with <laughs> freaking the fourth liners, let alone the first line. I, get, I think what they're hoping for is that obviously Ghost does that less, but you kind of take that risk with an offensive you know, player like that. And Provorov... When they had their elite stretch where they were told they were great, but then the next season it all fell apart. And I felt like Provorov tried to do too much at times, most of the time even. And honestly, I think that's why he's only making six and three quarters instead of more. Um, if they tried it again, I think Provorov would be a little more cognizant of who his partner is. I think Ghost might even be a little more cognizant of when to take chances and when not to. Uh, I think AV would help in this regard at least a little bit. Um, it might not work. I understand what you're saying, Kyle, but we know that risk kind of going in. And if it's not Ghost and it's Gustafson, it's the same risk. So it, it's going to have to be – if nothing is done and this is a team going forward, this is the kind of stuff we're probably going to see. And if we're looking at getting Ghost value, it's probably the best way to go about it, I think anyway. I about Ivan Provorov, Jim. I mean, he's one of my favorite flyers. I've liked him since they drafted him. I've got a signed jersey in my house. I, though, find myself watching him and wondering, per what Jack said about how he still kind of will make some bad turnovers. Like, I, he's a top, he's definitely a top 20 defenseman in the league just because he's such a monster. He's such a workhorse. He never gets injured. He can contribute offensively. I don't think he's ever going to be a I hope I'm wrong. I don't know if he's going to be a top five defenseman in the league. Like I remember watching guys like Chris Pronger in their prime, who he's obviously not going to be, but that's, I remember a shift during like the Stanley cup playoffs when Pronger was on, I want to say maybe Edmonton. And you could just see the other team's not going to score when this guy's on the ice. I felt that way sometimes when I was watching Shea Weber in this year's playoffs, Mm -hmm. like, Zdeno Chara was kind of the same way for Boston sometimes, where you felt like you could pair anyone with them and they're so big physically they can just, you know, prevent the other team from scoring on their own. I don't think Provorov's that kind of defenseman. I think that for all his attributes, I think his hockey IQ may be lacking slightly. I'm not sure. He's never going to be a top offensive defenseman. I don't think he's going to be a completely dominant defensive defenseman i just think he's going to be an absolute workhorse who can play 27 minutes a night and you pencil him into the lineup and i'm really not concerned about having anyone to be able to play with him because we have phil myers who i think is also like he's a right-handed young defenseman who's an absolute physical monster and i think he on his own could be a top pairing defenseman in the nhl so i think ultimately if it's not this season I think it will be this coming season, but if not, maybe later on, Myers is going to be the right-handed defenseman playing with Provorov, and they're both monsters. So I'm not as concerned about it, but to answer your question on Provorov, I I don't think he's ever going to be a top-five D-man in the league. Yeah, I guess maybe that's my own expectation for for all the talk and how upset everybody gets that he's left off this list and that list. And I'm like, you know, when does it become maybe he's just – not as good as we think or maybe he's not held in that high regard as uh 
guys like Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, who seem to be on these lists every time. He's, he's better than Wierenski, or at least he's on par. I mean, again, I'm saying he's not going to be a top five D-man in the league. He could be, but yeah. he's clearly a top 20 defenseman in the league. You know what I mean? He's never going to be an offensive guy like Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr. Like, that's just not going to happen. Those guys are ridiculous. And Seth Jones is incredible. Seth Jones might be the best defenseman in the league, like him and Hedman right now. Um, but I, I think Provorov's very, very good. I, I just, I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's a Norris Trophy winner. But he, again, he's what, 22, 23 years old? Like, that yeah, can change. 23. So I was going to ask, because I know that he's young. Do you think that we've seen the best from Provorov yet, or can he's still going to get better, right? Yeah, that, yeah, he's a defenseman. I mean, I'm telling you, they always take longer to develop, and I see Provorov get better every year. You know, and I think he's going to continue to get better, continue to play big minutes, and get better and get smarter. Um, what I also agree, I don't necessarily see him as a top five overall, overall defenseman, but PK Sapon was on that top twenty list. Like, tell us, was a joke. Should, yeah, it's like, why even bring it up? If, you, if you're getting upset by the list, you're getting worked by the list. The people who make those lists, they pick f- names they've heard of before, you know, and, and that's about it. They don't do any research or anything. The whole idea behind it is to rile people up. And, yeah, Rowinski is good offensively, but I still rather have Provorov every single day of the week and twice on Sunday. Like, he, he gives me the full package. He can do it all. I've seen the guy go coast to coast and score in overtime, and I've seen him shut it down defensively. I've seen him carry his teammates. I've seen him play 30 minutes a night, if not more. You well, know, here's like, a question for you, because like we said, he doesn't he doesn't do anything that's going to catch your eye, but he'll log a lot of and minutes. And that's why he's not on the list. So here's my question, then. Is he underrated? Well, first off, he wears the Flyers emblem, so yes. Second, no, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, yeah, he's definitely underrated. He, he's he's if you're not Eric Carlson on defense, you're underrated. It's just how it is. Case upon was still on that list. That's a perfect example of and why Eric he's Carlson underrated. is bad at defense. <clears throat> he was on there too. <laughs> he was on there too, right? Eric Carlson has been a shell of how he was in Ottawa, but he's still on the list, right? Yeah. A shell of Eric Carlson is still pretty decent, but I'm just saying, like he's still on the list based off of old numbers they put up like i'm sure plenty i have to see the list but there's sort of plenty of guys are on the list that you can kind of look at and be like is that guy still good is that guy still that good pk spawns he was the, the one that sticks out like a sore thumb how bad was he in new jersey and you're gonna put him on that list over Provorov? that's a perfect example of name value because of what he did in montreal and a little bit of nashville Provorov is underrated and i think he always will be yeah. That's that's so I wasn't trying to make it sound like I'm down on Provorov. Love Provorov. If you know, if I had a favorite player, it'd be uh, him, Lawton. Uh, I respect the way he plays the game. Like he's like a machine back there. You know, you can always count on him to play 20, 25 minutes. Um, I'm just like, and I've said it on past episodes. Like the training wheels need to come off some of these guys. And typically, I, I'm talking about Sanheim when I mention that, uh, Phil Meyer. Pro, you forget that Provorov's 23 because they depend on him so much. And like we said, he's like a machine. But is there is there more rain that he can be given? Like, this is what I want to see for these guys next year. Just let them play, you know, put them in the situations that I know we're just fans. But, for example, Travis Sanheim, 
let him fail on the top power play. I just want to see him out there. If there's a reason that they're not putting him out there, like like when you think about it, why isn't he playing on the top power play, Travis Sanheim? You know, he offensively is very fluid with the puck, the way he skates, the way he moves the puck. He can get the puck to the net. Take the training wheels off. If he's going to fail, let him fail. I just want to see it, you know, and then you can go back to putting Provorov or whoever the hell you want back out there. I know they acquired Gustafson, so I'm sure we're going to see some of him. Um, but for me, that's what I want to see from the D next year. I think Chuck Fletcher mentioned in a past interview that some of these younger guys have to grow into the roles um, that us as fans seem to think the Flyers need to look for. I, example, they need to replace Aniskanen. Well, maybe they can replace that from within. Maybe Ivan Provorov can be that guy, you know? And that's kind of where my question was, or, or not my question, but my statement of, you know, why can't Provorov play with a ghost or uh, a gust of sin? I know it's the top pairing, so it's not ideal, right? But why can't they be paired? Why are they still looking for someone to pair with Provorov? Why was Niskan in the ideal fit? I know Provorov's 23, but he seems older. Why can't he be the Niskan in now? Like force him to be that guy is what I'm saying. I mean, well, for me, just the defensemen, they just, like I said, they just, some of them develop a little bit slower. And Niskanen, like he's, I liked him because he's been around for so long. He's got a cup ring. Like you need a, like a legitimate veteran on your team sometimes, uh, not Andrew McDonald. And it's like I, I just like I like that aspect. There's things that you can't know unless you've been in the league for an extended period of time. And I think Provorov will be that. I think will be the closest thing to that soon. May not be it up to snuff. And what I wanted to say is like part of the problem with this and fans, and we do this with Carter Hart, and I really saw it during the playoffs. We anointed both Provorov and Carter Hart more so Carter Hart as like the savior of the, of like the flyers. And it's like, when was, can you name me the last flyers defenseman they drafted who became an absolute stud? Not off the top of my head. I'm th- maybe Yoni picking in. And how long was he around for? I loved picking in. Uh, I hate it. Jay traded on too soon. Raven Coburn traded for Pronger team in all traded for. So you take a guy like Provorov that high. Carter Hart is being pumped to the ceilings with how much you like him. These guys are viewed, and you said this too, Jimmy. The kids are coming. The kids are coming. Now they're here, and you're a little – you are they're not doing it fast enough for you. They're still kids, you know? Yeah, but they're not kids anymore, though. They're, they're still kids. 23, no, they're is, a, 23 is a kid, and you're talking about defense. Defensemen always develop slower. And it's not like he's your third-pairing guy. He's your top dog, and he's playing like 30 minutes a night. So I get what you're saying, but I think part of the frustration is we were so quickly to anoint them the saviors of this team. And I see it more with Hart than I do Provorov now, but I think that's part of the issue. I agree wholeheartedly with what you said because we definitely – everybody was like Provorov is our number one defenseman of the future. Right. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we get to watch guys like Cal McCarr and Miro Heiskanen do what they do. And it's like, okay, well, how come our guys aren't moving that fast? How come our guys don't? Do I would take Travis thing? Sanheim four years. 
Yeah, but let's be fair. I mean, Kale McCarr was taken third overall. Miro Heiskanen was taken fourth overall. Quinn Hughes was like sixth. I guess Provorov was, what was he, ninth or whatever? Eighth. Like, seventh. Yeah, I mean, seventh. Seventh. Yeah. <laughs> Seven, eight, nine. Sixth. Oh. <laughs> seventh final answer. Um, he's, Provorov's a stud. Like, I mean, he's very, very good. He's young and he's going to keep getting better. Like, I have no complaints with, like, Ivan Provorov. He is what he is. I don't think he's ever going to be a stud power play offensive defenseman like Quinn Hughes. I won't be surprised if that guy puts up like a hundred points one of these years, same with Kale McCarr because they're so skilled offensively, but that's, that's very rare that you get guys like that. I mean, they're ridiculously talented. Provrov though is also, you know, they might not have the uh, McCarr's been out with injuries and Quinn Hughes has been out with injuries. Like, again, I think Provrov's best asset, is that he's never injured. He's an absolute workhorse. And, he, you know, he's very, very good. He's solid in all areas. So you've got a workhorse stud who's good in all areas, and you're just going to have to deal with the fact that he's maybe not going to be as offensively gifted as someone like Kale McCarr. But, like, it is what it is. Like, I'm satisfied with Ivan Provorov as our number one defenseman. You know, I mean, Cam York, by the way, has got a ton of offensive potential. Like that guy could blow it up at Michigan this year as a sophomore come in. He could be Provorov's number one, you know, the pairing guy with him or Zamula. Like, it's not like we're going to have Ivan Provorov and the rest of the defense is going to stink and he's going to have to carry everyone. Like this, the Flyers have the best young defenseman in the league taken as a whole. And so I'm just not Provorov, even if Provorov doesn't get any better whatsoever, I will be happy with him playing like this for the next eight years, you know, and we're still going to have one of the best defense groups in the league. So that's kind of my take on him. And again, me bringing up those guys wasn't to say Proveroff should be at that level or should, but what I'm saying is from a basic fan standpoint is, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, well, Proveroff was taken top 10 and, but these guys are putting up 50, 60 points already. Well, who would you rather have Ivan Proveroff and Noah Hannafin? Ivan Provorov, hands down. Of course. Hannafin was drafted top five, you know? I mean, so I, I'm happy with that pick. And certain guys are just more offensively gifted, and that's more flashy. That's why that shows up on high, highlight reels and top 20 lists. But listen, if if Ivan Provorov is a better version of Timonen who's always playing, I couldn't be more happy with that. Like, that's great. Is he going to be pronger? No, but like, I'm st- it's still a damn good defenseman who is out there playing for you when he has no feeling in his like left arm. Like you don't, you can't create those guys if you tried. Now are they specially gifted like Makars and those guys. No, but for a seventh overall pick for a guy that we're going to have out there in the most important situations and really all situations can't, you can do a lot worse. And I really, he's, this is why he's underrated essentially. Do you all right, before we move on here? Do you see Provorov as a guy that the Flyers need to go outside of the organization, bring somebody in in order to allow Provorov to play his game, or is he the guy that you can bring another guy in and Provorov adjusts to the other guy's game? Because I I love like I said I love him. I'm just trying to be a little bit objective here. It sounds to me. Like, everyone's worried that they don't have a guy to pair with Provorov yet. Like, they can't pair any of these other guys up with him, or he might not be as good. I I can't remember who actually said it, 
but somebody's worried that Provorov playing with a lesser player than Niskanen, you might see a drop in Provorov's play. And that concerned me a little bit. To me personally, it's not a matter of if I think Provorov will excel or decel with whoever his partner is. It's more or so like if you did go out of the organization and replace Matt Niskanen because Matt Niskanen was obviously Matt Niskanen playing with Provorov, it worked so well that people are more concerned with the idea of we could have shored that up and not had a problem, like, and know for a fact we weren't going to have a problem, than the uncertainty of who's going to be playing with Provorov, who's going to be on the first pair, what's the second pair going to be, what's the third pair going to be, is our defense going to be in shambles all year because we can't figure it out. Yeah, I agree with Kyle. It's not that I'm worried about Provorov. I'm worried about the top pairing. You know, like, who's your top pairing? Well, definitely Ivan Provorov. Who goes here? And the reason that is, is like, I don't want to break up Sanheim and Myers unless I absolutely have to. So who am I putting up here? You're going to get a lot of minutes playing that that top pairing. So it's not so much about Provorov as it is that top pairing was a very good top pairing. And I, putting anybody else that besides Myers or Sanheim, if you want to keep them together, it's just a step down. And that's what it's really about. I don't think we have a top four defenseman outside of Sanheim, Myers, and Provorov. And, and you're putting somebody on your top pairing who's not a top four defenseman. That's what hurts, I think. Not I'm not worried about Provorov. I'm worried about the pairing as a whole. Yeah, I mean, and I also think, by the way, they brought in Niskanen because going into this season, we weren't sure what Ivan Provorov was going to do. I mean, he had kind of a down season um two seasons ago and so i think they brought in niskanen as kind of like a steadying influence who could be a good veteran to to help him along this season and they were hoping i'm sure for next season as well but like i do think he will keep getting better and if ivan Provorov plays the way he did last year i think it's jim to answer your question like he he will be able to like make other players better and like adjust theoretically to who his partner is so that's what I think Provorov has probably gotten over the hump this past season, and I think we're going to see at least the same version of him moving forward, if not a better version, because his work ethic is ridiculous. It is. He's a That's machine. thing we haven't talked about, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for that. So I didn't mean to sound like I was talking down on Provorov. I was just trying to you know, ask some questions, see what we thought. I want to put a little bit of a, spot, a positive spin on this episode real quick here. So, Dan, uh You've hosted a couple prospect shows, HW prospect shows. I want to ask you about a recent Flyers draft pick, four-goal game for Elliot Denoyer. Did I say that right? Denoyer. For the Halifax Mooseheads. What can you tell us about him? So, and I know we were talking before the show a little bit, and based on Kyle's comment, I might even agree with him a little bit on this in one direction. So here's one thing. So Denoyer was drafted – He's one of these guys that was getting like third, third line minutes last year. And so a player kind of like when the Flyers took Morgan Frost in the first round, everyone was like, who? His numbers weren't all that good. And it was because he wasn't getting that much time on Sault Ste. Marie. So he got a lot more time the next season and he exploded offensively. Desnoyers was like the same thing. Like he was playing like third line minutes. And I think their scouts really liked him and were like, hey, you should take him. And, you know, he's going to get more playing time this upcoming season. And so he'll probably do better. So from that perspective, he already looks like a really good draft pick just because he's doing what they thought he would do. He's getting more ice time and he's taking advantage of it. 
However, there's a reason that he was taken in the fourth round and a guy like Morgan Frost was taken in the first round. Like, he's averaging, I think, a little over a point per game, even with that four-goal performance that he had. I don't know. I haven't looked at the numbers recently. And I also watched all the goals he scored in that game. And, like, a lot of them were his teammates doing a lot of work, and he was just, like, finishing the play. And so I understand, and I, I don't know exactly what Kyle's going to say, but there were a lot of articles being, like, Flyers prospect scores four goals. He's the next Wayne Gretzky. Like, what a great draft pick. And I would just caution it. I would say – he certainly looks like he's going to be good value for where he was taken, but let's not get too carried away by like a four goal game or whatever. And him be putting up points early on because it's a very small sample size. And I mean, that's pretty much all I really said was, I mean, there was a bunch of people writing articles. Uh, I'll refrain from using names or sites about I mean, you would have thought this guy was the second coming of Christ because he had one game with four goals. And I understand, like, that's amazing. And four goals is great. But he wasn't a top draft pick. And, and just one game doesn't make you a drop a top draft pick. And that was my whole point was just temper your expectations here, guys. Like, take it down a notch. Yeah, I mean, to his credit, he's been a – consistent performer early on in the season like he's putting up points so I didn't think it was just the one game but I think there were people who were overreacting to four goal performance absolutely Jack did you see that I, no I, I did not and I'm glad I didn't I would have fully agreed because we've seen this before in smaller sample sizes even with other teams I remember people and he's still a pretty good NHL player but People, some people that I know that didn't really watch the NHL that much, and when Thomas Hurdle had that like four goal game to start the season, they were f- losing their minds. Like, lose, and that was in the NHL. And even then, I was kind of like, he could be pretty good, but let's not. He's not Ovechkin. Like, relax, you know. And uh, you know what? A fifth round pick, Oscar Limbaugh was a fifth round pick. I can see people overreacting. And Dan, you laid it out perfectly. The guy's he's a third line guy. He gets his chance. He jumps up. It's one game. You're going to lose your mind about juniors? I mean, no, I, I can't do that. Even if it was a, a decent stretch of games, I would still caution. I would still caution it because guys get hot. Guys get lucky. We just had Kobe Cohen on, and he's telling us about his one good season he had uh, where he's like, listen, the puck just happened to go in. You break your stick. It hits off of somebody's skate, and it goes in the net. Things happen. And you alluded to, Dan, that he's cleaning up the play. Like If he was doing some highlight real stuff, maybe that changes my opinion. He's skating through three guys and beating Deacon the goalie out of his pads. Maybe I changed my opinion a little bit, but I, there, there is no reason for me to do backflips over this. Do I like seeing it? Sure. Am I going to hang my hat on it? Absolutely not. Yeah, let's wait a full season. Yeah. Again, like Dan alluded to, like this doesn't mean you can't get semi-excited for a prospect to be putting up points. I mean, he is a Flyers. He's Flyers property right now. It's awesome to see anybody involved with the Flyers organization to be putting up points, but the automatically jump on the he's going to be the next Limblom train. Like, I mean, I feel like we got a little ahead of ourselves here. Well, I'll be honest with you. I remember when the Flyers had no prospect pool and Hextall took over and he drafted Alba Kubel in the second round. And we like what he's doing now, but he drafted him back in like 2013. You know, so it was a long time ago and I was following his stats because of Bill Meltzer would post them 
And he was scoring a lot of goals consistently. And I was like, wow, did I think this guy was going to come out and, you know, be like Rick Nash? No, (laughs) it's juniors, you know, and it still took him like seven years to get to the NHL. So like and he was a second round pick, not a fifth. So like you're going to freak out over one game and say you got your we found our Cole Caulfield in the uh, in the fifth round. No, I don't think that's just silly. Come on. Hey, guys, I got to I got to jump off here pretty quick okay but uh yeah thanks for hanging out with us dan always yeah, a pleasure man on, awesome dan. yeah we'll good talk stuff, soon buddy. man thanks uh, yep have a good night guys take it easy i think we don't even have to trade for patrick line anymore i think we oh. got elliot denoya <laughs> i think we got a 60 goal score on our hands <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think we're good call him up ben, ben, put him in, in the call, playoffs call this him why up. you don't this is why you don't trust season. the media Cause Bench TK put in Denoye and we're set. You just like his name. Denoye. I don't even think I'm saying it right still. You got corrected, so I don't think so. But then again, if I had said it, I'd have, I'd have been like, I would have started with the wrong first letter of his last name. So what do I know? Um. So we pretty much covered all of our topics except for one. Except for one. And, you know, all this Patrick Line talk, uh-huh. there's a lot of people out there that, you know, we'll find reasons to not want a guy that could potentially score 50, that has scored 40, that all he does is score goals, right? Like, who wants a guy like that? And <laughs> it got me thinking a little bit, and I thought back to a guy like John LeClaire. Jack, your favorite player, right? All time. Everybody. All yeah. time. And I'm like, this is a guy that could score from anywhere on the ice, right, with that slap shot. He could score in close, Jim, big he body. Dude. Through the net. That's how good he was. Through yeah, the net. Like literally. And I'm wondering if a lot of the listeners out there don't even know what we're talking about when we mention that. Do you know what I'm do you know what I'm saying? Like they don't remember having a guy that could score fifty goals. And I know it's more rare in today's game, but that's even more reason why you trade for a guy like that. Jim, you've done a one you did a one eighty. And so what bothers – and I'm not saying that Flyers fans today have this kind of loser mentality, right, where it's just, you know, play everything by the book. Let's take our time. Do everything how Hextall said we should do things. Make the calculated move. Sometimes when you have the team, when you have the guys, you got to just fucking go for it, right? And so when you have the opportunity to acquire a guy that can – Put the puck in the net from anywhere on the ice. A guy that most Flyers fans today, if you're under 30 years old, and I'll even go as far as to say under 26, 27, you don't remember who the fuck John LeClaire is. All you know, all you remember is Eric Lindros or Ron Hextall because he fought and he was crazy, whatever. You don't rem- How do you not remember what it's like to have a 50-goal scorer on your team? You might not even remember Gagne in his 46-goal season. That's probably the highest goal season I can remember. Right. That was what, 2005? Gagne was one of my favorite players, so don't get me wrong here, but he couldn't score from anywhere on the ice, right? No, he had Forsberg on it. His center was was Peter Forsberg, yeah. Gagne could snipe, but I think if you were the other team, you weren't necessarily afraid of Gagne. And I know LeClaire had Lindros, but if you go back and look at some of LeClaire's goals— like he didn't need Lindros to score some of those goals. He had an absolute bomb. bomb. And what you're getting in line A is a guy that can score from anywhere on the ice. 
a team, the other, a player, the other team has to worry about. And Flyers don't have that right now. You know, we brought this up on uh, Full Circle, too. We were kind of going over some of the lines, and it was like, well, who – or I'm sorry, it wasn't Full Circle. It was our show last week, and it was who do you put on that first line? And I love the idea. We were kind of like, oh, Konechny, Lindblom, uh, maybe you try this guy, that guy. If you have Patrick Laine on your team, it the answer is Laine. It's the easiest answer you could have. You know, and, and I, I couldn't be more in agreement with you. Um Line A, being able that, – that kind of stuff, it's almost like a cornerback in the NFL, the pick six. Like you just – you change a game's m- m- uh, momentum. You you could be down two goals and he just blasts one because he's that good. Right. And, and on top of that, he's improved your power play tremendously, at least in theory. You know, I mean that's a major problem with us. If our power play is half decent last year, who knows what the sky's the limit. You, you can't – there's a reason he went second overall, and there's no headaches with this second overall guy. I mean, he is an absolute stud. Could there be some issues with him? Sure. At the same time, he has consistently put up big numbers, and that is what this team is lacking. It really is. And I just think these opportunities to trade for a guy like this don't come along very often, and they need to strike while the iron is hot. I would agree. Yeah, I think you got to go get them. It just, I just had to get that off my chest a little bit because, you know, a lot of the, uh, I, I don't know how I want to say this, but I saw someone make a remark that a lot of the people clamoring for line A or people who are disappointed so far with the offseason because the Flyers didn't go out and make a big move. And I'm not really one of those guys. I'm not really disappointed in this offseason, but it was almost kind of insulting that they grew up in the Holmgren era, right? When Holmgren would go, would go out and get somebody every time, and that's what that's what we're used to. I grew up in that era that we're used to the Flyers going out and getting the best guy available or perceived best guy available. And through Hextall's reign, it was literally the opposite. It was this is the way to build a team. This is how you got to do it. Blah blah blah. There's two ways to build a team. This generation just happened to grow up during Hextall's tenure, in a tenure where the Flyers arguably were the worst they've ever been in their history, right? So it kind of irks me a little bit when people are against going out and getting a guy that can, can score from anywhere on the ice. Well, Jim, they, they don't remember. Just, they don't know what it's like to have a guy like that. Well, just back up what you're saying is Bobby Clark was the same way, and I grew up a lot during that and we had everybody who hit free agency we were interested in every we were interested in ray bork he wanted to come here the fact we didn't get him hurt we traded for adam oates for like a half a season we signed jeremy roenick we brought tony amani along just for shits we brought we signed everybody under the sun van viesbrook whatever we did it all and we were good yeah did we reach the mountain peak no but we were awfully friggin close and awful lot of times Transition into Holgram. We were bad. We had to rebuild. That took one year before we were back. He traded for Hartnell and Timonen, and he signed Danny Briere, and, and we were right back at it. So, yeah. and then you bring in Hextall. And I understand you had some rough contracts. You needed to wait some things out, make some moves. But we were so much more successful with Holgram and Clark. Than we ever were with Hexall. And are we set up good for the future? Absolutely. The furthest we've ever gone is the second round of the playoffs, and that was this year. 
I feel like we've wasted Claude Giroux's prime. Voracek, I don't even want to, I don't even know what his prime was at this point. You know, we've we've wasted it all, and now we're already looking for guys like Kevin Hayes and Konechny and whoever and Limblom to take over because Giroux and Vor, uh, yeah, Voracek are done. So I, I'm 100% with you. And on top of that, we're now in the salary cap error. When a guy like Limblom or Limblom, when a guy like Line a becomes available, you you do that deal. You have to make it work. If he, now, I'm not going to say Fletcher's making a mistake. He might be waiting for the price to go down because Line is only going to lose value from here on out. But this is a deal you make because this is a game-breaking move. This guy could change things. When your team gets down, when your team can't score, he can break through. Imagine him in that Islander series. Imagine the power play. Like, this is the time to... St- You'd be seriously missing out if you let this opportunity go by. Can you guys even remember the last player without looking up stats who had over 45 goals on the Flyers? I'm seriously going to go with Gagne with his 46 or 7 back in 05, 06 that season. You know who we forget is Jeff Carter because I think he had 47. Bingo, he had 46 in 08. That's the last time I can remember a 40-goal score. But we forget about him. Wow, that's for a whatever lot. reason. I didn't. I forgot about that. I thought it was Gagne. Yeah, I never really viewed Carter as a guy that could score from anywhere. I see. Yeah, I always viewed Carter as a guy. Yeah, he did. But he would just shoot from anywhere, and if it went in, he was like, I felt like he was lucky, you know. And I don't know how you can luck in the forty-six goals, but that's just how I viewed him. I mean, we had a much better defense back then, so he could afford to take shots, aka that. I didn't lead to odd man rushes, but got, he definitely could shoot. I mean, when I think of the L.A. Kings teams and, oh, you traded Richards and Carter. Uh, Richards was good, but Carter had some timely goals. He was a sniper. Uh, he, he was good, man. He, we really – I think we did the right thing when we did at the time, but when the Flyers were doing their thing, Carter was good. Um, didn't ever quite reach that plateau again. But he was always – you could, like, pencil him in for at least 25 goals. Yeah. And so just for comparison here, so you can probably pencil Travis Konechny in for 25 goals a season, right? And so, maybe at – let's say at the very most for Travis Konechny, maybe 35 goals. That's a, that's a lot to ask for because he's yet to break that 30 plateau. All right. So no, I think what Jim's saying is overall, that's, like the that's most a ceiling. You're, gonna you're saying that's get. a ceiling. Yeah. I'm honestly, so, I, I honestly, I don't, I, I get what you're saying. I wouldn't throw that around lightly because at 35, you're suddenly flirting with 40, and I don't. He'd have to be consistently on a, a line with a playmaker. Like he'd have to play with Coots the whole year. Right. So let's say a seal. So he's never going to score more than 35. I'm just going to say that. If he hit 34, I would be like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's my point. So Patrick Lyon in a down season will score 30 goals. <laughs> yeah. Right? I'm totally with you there. So it's like all these people bitching because Konechny makes funny faces and he's their favorite player that don't want to trade Konechny for a guy that scored one goal in 22 playoff games for a guy. <sighs> That will score 40 goals because you don't know what it's like to have a 40-goal score on you, your team. 
you're you're a loser if you don't want to make that trade. I'm sorry, but you are. You're a loser. Well, listen, am I trading Konechny and something else to upgrade to Patrick Line? Does it depend on something else? Of course, but yeah, I think I am. I love Konechny, but come on, man. Like Patrick, they don't make guys like Patrick Line. Take your funny faces and your one playoff goal and let me get a 40-goal score. You are Easy. definitely selling him short. I'm glad you're not talking to Shevel Day off in Winnipeg, <laughs> but but I, I get the sentiment. I do. Yeah, I'm just still annoyed by Travis Konechny. So uh, now that I got that <laughs> off my chest. <laughs> it's I think his like favorite part over. about Patrick Konechny. Pa- uh, yeah, about Patrick, Patrick Line. Another Oh, there we go. God damn it. It's been a while for that. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my pen? His favorite part about Patrick Laine is his first name is not Travis. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm, apparently, I'm a Travister. You are a Travister. All right. What do you guys think? Should we wrap up our – this is our first episode since we teamed up with full press coverage. Kind of excited for that. Good stuff. Definitely excited for, for that. I, I've been on the app like all day just playing around, reading stuff, listening to stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, very solid app. If you guys are listening, go check them out. It's very user friendly, which is which is is a huge thing on my list. It's very easy to navigate the site, especially with the app. Yeah, for sure. So that's exciting for us guys. We're growing. We'll st- we're still growing as a podcast, still growing as uh, somebody you guys like to listen to, whatever. We're still on hwhockey.net, so still check that out. But now you can just also find our stuff on full press coverage NHL, which is pretty sweet. So if there's nothing else, guys, I was going to say boys and girls, but I think we're all boys here. Well, uh, my wife listening. answered the phone call, so there you go. <laughs> there you go. Don't assume my gender, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have anything else we wanted to bring up before we wrap up tonight? Dude, I mean, there really hasn't been a whole lot, so I think we did pretty well for nothing going on at all. Oh, I want, I wanted to bring up this one thing because I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, Hosang got a contract with who? With uh, the Islanders. What did he get? I don't know. One year, like eight hundred and fifty k. But I was curious. If he was making more than Nolan Patrick. That's why I asked. Is it a two way <laughs> or one way? I don't know. Got to be two way. I would assume it's two-way. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, if he pans out for them, that that could suck. <laughs> He's got the skill, that's for sure. He's just apparently a dick. Sounds a lot like Nolan Patrick, but I digress. So <laughs> Patrick's on time. His head just hurts, that's all. <laughs> Hosang is completely healthy saying, eh, what's an alarm clock? Yeah. So we're going to wrap up, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode. Don't forget to check us out. Tell your friends that we're on full press coverage. Make sure you're checking out hwhockey.net. You can find all of our old episodes on there. Uh, full press, I'm sorry, Full Circle just came out on Monday with Jack and Steve. Another awesome episode. They did a deep dive into the New, Jer- New Jersey Devils. Check out the bright side with Josh and myself. We had Russ Joy on as a guest. Russ is a fun time as always. I uh, really enjoyed talking to him. What Rush else? Joy is my spirit animal. Love him. <laughs> Did we do anything else, guys? Or is that it for now? Oh, if you got, uh, if anyone out there is looking to write for us, we're looking for writers, contributors. Send any of us a DM, and uh, we'll get you set up ASAP. We're looking to grow. We're looking to expand, and we want to have fun doing it. So if you're a cool person, reach out, and let's do this. 
We are the three. If there's nothing lunatics. else, we will wrap up. And we will be what? We're the three lunatics, Jim. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. We are. I yeah. forgot to mention Dan. Thanks again, Dan Silver of the O&B Podcast for hanging out with us. Thanks, Isaiah, for uh, lending him out to us for another night. So we're going to wrap up, and we'll be back, we'll be back next week, guys. <laughs> we'll be back, we'll be back next all week. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep that in. Thanks, guys. We'll talk soon.